All right, let's go ahead and come back together. Go ahead and find your seat and grab a Bible. If you don't have a Bible, there should be a black hardcover in one of the seat backs in front of you. How many of you are using a device for your Bible today? Just for curiosity's sake. All right. Good. Now, today is week one of the NFL season, and games are starting, so do whatever you need to do to uh, not look at that. Welcome. Um, My name is Pastor Andrew. I'm one of the pastors here, and uh, I get the joy of bringing the message today. So if you would turn in your Bibles to Psalm 116, Psalm 116, we are... In our summer psalms series, taking a break from the book of Acts. We'll be back in Acts in October, I believe. Uh, But um, Pastor Ron asked me to fill in this week because of uh, Fred's passing. So I'm going to miss uh, one more person falling asleep during my sermon right there. (laughs) It's okay, I messed with Fred about it all the time. John posted a good uh, tribute on Facebook that uh, there's some big shoes to fill. And so even this morning, thank you uh, to Jason and Bianca for greeting. And I'm going to miss Fred and uh, what he brought to um, this church and to our lives. He's a good friend, a generous friend, a godly man, and a good example. And so this isn't a funeral sermon, per se. But when Pastor Ron asked me, I, I had already seen Psalm 116.15 quoted in the elder text thread um, that the death of a saint is precious in the sight of the Lord. So I thought, let's go to Psalm 116 and preach from that. So we'll see if we're ready. I've got my tissue ready up here. Um, get your tissues ready. But um, we, are, we know that Fred loved Jesus. And um, I, Fred spent thousands and thousands of dollars on me taking me to lunch. <laughs> um, and I heard him pray hundreds and hundreds of times um, over lunch and saw him open the door for his wife every time. And so um, we're going to miss him and we'll remember him in lots, of, in lots of ways with tears and with laughter. And um, we will we'll get through today. Um, and we, we thank the Lord for uh, the opportunity that we have to remember um, a dear brother. Psalm 116, Pastor AJ read it um, during worship. And so I'm going to pray, and we're going to dive in and see what the Lord has for us in these 19 verses. Father, we thank you for um, godly ones who who have gone before us. And Lord, we pray that we would um, take up the mantle, that we would be faithful um, as they were faithful. We thank you, Lord, for all that Fred Johnson meant to this church, um, both the facility and the people. Um, And so, Lord, we, we pray today that, yes, we would remember... Um, Fred, as we, as we see what the text has to say, and we know that Fred um, now sees you face to face, and he would want us to focus on you, um, that the focus would be on you, his Savior, the one that he served and loved for so long. And so this morning, Lord, I pray that you would help us to um, learn from this text so that we might go this week and serve you well. In Jesus' name, amen. I didn't look at my notes because I didn't want to start crying, but I forgot to also let you know that some of us are going to Israel tomorrow. And so I just want to let you know, if you want to follow along, we're still getting some of the details of where to follow our trip, but we'll post some things. We'll email some things out. Um, So I know some of you are on Instagram, some of you are on Facebook, some of you aren't on either, some of you don't know what that is. And so we'll try to get out um, different ways to follow our trip. Um, And we are really excited to go. Super glad that Chuck and Elaine get to finally go after we keep canceling on them. <laughs> Chuck's been breaking in those boots for three years now, so <laughs> no blisters. <laughs> uh, but we'll be leaving, so you can pray for us. Our flight leaves tomorrow evening, and we'll get back on Friday the 23rd. Psalm 116 uh, has no uh, author mentioned there, as you'll see. Um, Psalm 116 is right in the middle of what's called the Egyptian Hallel, or sometimes it's called the... Uh, Passover Hallel. By the way, how many of you are using the Christian Standard Bible right now? Anybody using the CSB? Several of you. Okay, very enthusiastic, Debbie. All right. The CSB. Go to Debbie for a recommendation afterwards. Uh, But the Christian Standard Bible, um, 
will frame these psalms in and around Psalm 116 with not praise the Lord, but with hallelujah. Hallelujah, Yahweh, Hallel, is praise the Lord. Praise the Lord is hallelujah, hallelujah, is praise the Lord. So you can see, just, just look around in your Bible. Go back to Psalm 113. It begins with, oh man, we're, doing, we're having trouble today. Psalm 113 starts with, Praise the Lord. Oh, hallelujah. It ends with? Very good. Okay. And as you, as you get your way through, you'll see that at the end of Psalm 115, it's praise the Lord. The end of Psalm 116, it's praise the Lord. Psalm 117, the shortest psalm in the book is uh, two verses, and praise the Lord is in both verses. Um, and then Psalm 118 um, is a, a famous song about the steadfast love of the Lord enduring forever, which then leads us into Psalm 119, which we will not be covering today. The 176 verses would take a while. (laughs) These are the Psalms that traditionally the Jewish people, and and by the first century, so almost assuredly Jesus and his disciples, would have sung these Psalms before and after the Passover meal um, every year. And so Psalm 113 and Psalm 114 were usually sung before the meal. And then 115 through 118, those four would be sung after the meal. And we know that Matthew and Mark tell us that Jesus and his disciples sang a hymn before they went out to Gethsemane. Very likely that this is what they were singing. So this passage today that we are looking at um, very likely would have been what they were singing. By the way, why is it called the Egyptian Hallel? Well, look at, uh, look at Psalm 114. When Israel went out from Egypt. Okay, so uh, many scholars think that this chunk of Psalms actually written later in Israel's history, possibly after the exile and the return to um, the land. So God's people are, are exiled, they're taken away by the Babylonians, um, and they return 70 years later um, to a destroyed Jerusalem. And so we see in um, the books of Nehemiah and Ezra, we see some of those things that are going on. But there's much mention of the temple, the house of the Lord, the presence of God, the gathering of his people all through this. And this feel of being back, this feel of returning um, after sadness, after persecution, after death, and being able to return. Um, That's a very good educated guess and speculation. It does fit the psalm. But this psalm is also um, a great psalm for us because it has the only, can can you believe this? It has the only time in the scriptures that we see this exact phrase, I love the Lord. That's what it starts, I love the Lord. Now, there's commands to love the Lord throughout. There are um, exclamations and statements about loving the Lord. But here is that phrase right at the beginning, right at the heart of the psalm, I love the Lord. And this psalm also reminds us of Jonah chapter 2. So what I'd encourage you to do this afternoon um, is flip in your Bible over to Jonah chapter 2 and keep your hand in Psalm 116 and just compare the two. Very, very interesting. Who's borrowing from who? Um, how, what's the order here? Um, but very similar language, very similar ideas. And Psalm 116 fits really well because you know how, you know how we were, were looking at some of those psalms that were particularly of David and we have pictures of caves and maps and things on the screen, which is really fun. Um, that helps us to see exactly what, the situa- what situation those words sprang out of. But one of the benefits of a generic psalm like this one is that this fits no particular necessarily um, situation in life, so that probably by design, it fits our situation in life. Um, and so there's never a, a time to go to the Psalms and go, well, uh, I haven't committed adultery, so I can't learn anything from Psalm 51, or I've never had enemies chasing me down and throwing spears at me, so I can't relate to this Psalm. There's always something in the Psalms for us so, so don't ever let Satan, like, convince you that you can't get something out of the psalm or it doesn't apply to you. As one of God's people, um, as a descendant spiritually of David and of um, the writers of the scripture, these apply to us. When it's generic like this, it's a little bit easier for us. And also, this psalm reflects our emotional lives. Because there is not, this is a hard psalm to outline. There's a lot of returning to similar themes and kind of ups and downs and swinging back and forth. I thought he already talked about this. He's back to it again, which is how we live our lives, right? Um, That's exactly how we live our lives. And so um, as we look into uh, the scriptures here, 
let's keep all of those things in mind. Point number one in your notes, pray to the Lord for he listens. Love the Lord for he has listened. So you'll see this past, present, and future for us to take a look at. So the psalmist says that he loves Yahweh because he has heard my voice and my pleas for mercy. The psalmist had called out to God. We'll see that throughout the psalm. And God had heard him. And so because of that, he loves the Lord. And that's, that's a, a very natural and normal um, thing to do, right? The Lord has listened, and so we love him. And let's just be clear, this is not the only reason that we love the Lord, but this is a great reason that we love the Lord. He has heard my voice and my pleas for mercy. I love verse 2, because he inclined his ear to me. Um, I get the, the picture of just like leaning. God doesn't have an ear, okay? God is a spirit. But he inclines to us in a way that we understand as human beings, we have to, right? Some of you who are harder of hearing now have to really focus, right? Um, that happened to Fred all the time. <laughs> uh, in the office, Jean would be talking on the phone and Fred thought she was talking to him and it would create all kinds of laughter in my office. Um, but, but you incline your ear to listen intently, right? To pay attention to. And so it's not just that the Lord heard, but the Lord paid attention in order to hear. Isn't that encouraging? The Lord is paying attention to the voice of his children. And because he inclined, past tense, his ear to me, therefore I will call on him, how long? As long as I live. The past trustworthiness of God leads to the future confidence that he will continue to listen. That's important because it doesn't always feel like he's listening, right? Prayers are bouncing off the walls. They're rebounding back at you. Where are you, Lord? We have plenty of that in the Psalms, right? So let's, let's just be clear um, that there are all kinds of emotions going on in the Psalms that help us wrestle with those things. But the psalmist says here that because he inclined his ear, I will call on him as long as I live. And today I would want like that to be one of our commitments. Because he listened, and it's important to remember that he listened because sometimes those memories fade and sometimes the present is so present that we can't think or feel of anything else. But it's really important for us to know that. So some of you may we write this down or have, a, have an Excel spreadsheet <laughs> or a Word document, right? Or something that, to keep track of, to remember, or to look back on. This is the best feature of Facebook, the memories. <laughs> to look back and see, oh yeah, the Lord did that. Oh my goodness, look at her, look at him, right? To, to, to look back and see what the Lord has done. Verses uh, 3 and 4 then tell us something of what the author was going through. In verse 3, it, it reminds us of uh, Jonah and the story of Jonah. The snares of death encompassed me, surrounded me. The pangs of Sheol lay hold on me. I suffered distress and anguish. That's important for us to understand. What, what's Sheol? Sheol is used in, in two overlapping ways in the Old Testament. It's a proper noun. It's a name. Okay? And um, much of the time, it's a name for the grave. Okay? So it's, it's a cinnamon. A cinnamon? Cinnamon and sugar. Um, it's a synonym for, for the place of the dead, for the grave. Okay? So when someone has gone to Sheol, whether righteous or wicked, they're gone. They're not with us. They're in the grave. But there are also times when Sheol is used as, mere, as a place where more specifically the wicked, the unrighteous, go when they die. Whatever the case, the psalmist here felt close to death, right? The psalmist was on the brink of death, you could say. And we don't know from what. Um, we don't know from what. Um, one of the commentators said this, the psalmist feels that death had hunted him down because some of the, picture, the word pictures here are from hunting. The snare, the trap. In fact, as I was reading about this, there's um, a way in the Middle East that um, some still do this, but they, they found this archaeologically thousands of years ago. They're, they found these little, um, like, lines of rocks that weren't too high, maybe or less, um, but they found them, and they, they would find them in these places that would go over different parts of geography, but as they got closer and closer and closer, they, they'd form a little um, cul-de-sac. And what they figured out what they were using them for was they were using them to catch small animals. And they would, they would force them into this area 
not as, not as threateningly. And slowly, the, the place would narrow down and they would be caught. And so it's like that, that time in the book or the movie, the story that you're reading or watching, and all of a sudden, there's no way out, right? There's just a wall. Um, and, and this is the picture of the snares of death have encompassed me. Everywhere that you look, all around, there's nowhere to go. Have you ever felt like that? Maybe not like physically, right? They're after me. But we see in, in, the, we see in these verses the anguish, the distress that he, was, that he suffered. And we know that is not always merely just because of the physical circumstances, because of the mental and emotional circumstances and stress that we're in as well. So the, the feeling of the psalmist was, I've got nowhere to go. I'm trapped. Verse 4, what do you do? Then I called on the name of Yahweh. Oh, Yahweh, I pray. Or some translations say, please deliver my soul. Deliver my soul. What other words can we use for deliver? Rescue. Save, right? Good Bible words. Good Christian words, right? Deliver my soul, my life. Rescue me. This cry to the Lord because he's listened in the past. I said I was going to call on him in the future, and now I'm in trouble. I will call on him now. The past faithfulness and trustworthiness of the Lord should cause us to commit to pray now and as long as we live. Point number two, as the author continues to reflect on his circumstances, he then turns to talk about the Lord who rescued him out of these circumstances. So point number two, recognize and reflect regularly on what the Lord has done. Recognize and reflect regularly on what the Lord has done. Verse five here is a condensation of the most quoted passage in the Old Testament. It is quoted over and over and over again throughout the Psalms and the prophets, and it is from Exodus 34. So I'd like to go there real quick. Turn back in your Bibles to Exodus chapter 34. This may be, um, the t- well, top three <laughs> most crucial passages in the scriptures because God reveals himself to Moses in a particular way that is passed down from generation to generation and used in prayer and in prophecy. Psalm 34, Exodus 34, verses 6 and 7. This is after Moses has asked the Lord to show him his glory. And finally, after the new tablets of the Ten Commandments that have been broken are remade, it says this, Yahweh passed before him and proclaimed, Yahweh, Yahweh, a God, check this out, merciful and gracious, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, but who will by no means clear the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers and the children, the children's children, the third and fourth generation. We see the righteousness of God in blessing obedience and in punishing disobedience and keeping his promise to those who are faithful to him. And that slow to anger, that mercy, that graciousness, the steadfast love, the faithfulness, the compassion of God. And so verse 5 in Psalm 116 is a Jewish person remembering his history and the history of his God and saying, this is who God is. Partially because this is who God was. This is who God was to Moses and the children of Israel in the wilderness. This is who God was was when he brought the people safely into the promised land. This is who he was when he pushed the people out, when he brought judges up to rescue his people, when he brought Saul and David and Solomon. When all of these things happened, it was because Yahweh is gracious. He's righteous. He's merciful. Grace. Undeserved favor. The fact that that God is righteous, one author said, it means he never deviates in his commitment to his people and promises. He's right in what he does. And then he's merciful, or some some, uh, versions say compassionate. And and this is the concern that God shows for his people. The with them sort of love. The feel of, I'm there with you. I'm suffering what you're suffering. I'm feeling what you're feeling. I'm along Side you. I'm not distant. This is the God that this author has been taught about 
and has now experienced. And so this is what gives the author the confidence to call on the name of Yahweh. Look at verse 6. Yahweh preserves the simple. When I was brought low, he saved me. Um, other, version, other versions will say something different than simple. Um, but the, the idea here can be, it's one of those words that can go um, negative or positive. And sometimes in the, in the Proverbs especially, the simple one is someone who just hasn't worked to develop wisdom. They haven't exercised that muscle. And so they're simple kind of on the stupid end. Okay, It's a Bible word. It's okay. All right? Um, sorry, parents. Uh, simple on the other end of the seesaw, though, is kind of like an innocence, like a naivete. Um, and it's probably in, in there here. But, but notice he calls himself this. <laughs> I think that's what's happening here. Yahweh preserves the simple. When I was brought low, he saved me. So this is a, a great humility um, to know who you are. And this is a balancing act, isn't it? A balancing act that we always have to balance, figure out where we are. Because sometimes if we dive too far into the wretch and the worm... We lose ourselves in despair and depression and despondency. If we lean so far over into victorious living, sometimes we can forget our weakness, for we are dust. Right? God knows that he made us. He knows we are dust. And so there's a balance here. And the author says, I'm simple. I was brought low. He saved me. How important is it for us to be humble? How important is it for us to know who we are? If, if we do not have a good, thorough, balanced view of who we are as creatures, made in the image of God, fallen, capable of great wickedness, and also capable of great good, if we have this idea of who we are and then we look up and see who we aren't. That is really important for us. John Stott said this, at every stage of our Christian development, okay, youngest kids in here, okay, to Fred a few days ago, okay, every stage of our Christian development and in every sphere of our Christian discipleship, church, work, family, neighborhood, sports, wherever, pride is the greatest enemy and humility our greatest friend. Um, don't you like humble people? I mean, if they're more humble than you, me and I, me and I like them that much. But, but arrogant people? I mean, everyone's signing up. I want an arrogant friend. Can I have more arrogant friends? I'd love to be surrounded by people that are full of themselves. That would just go well for me and everyone around me. No, we, we, we value humility. We, we notice humility. Dietrich Bonhoeffer said this, which is really helpful for us to think about in, in ministry, in our involvement in church, in our leadership opportunities, in our following opportunities. He said, the church does not need brilliant personalities, but faithful servants of Jesus and the brethren. There's lots of brilliant personalities. We listen to them, their podcasts. We follow them on Twitter or Instagram. And that's okay. But beware the subtle, sometimes, sometimes not subtle, draw of celebrity, of upfrontness, of brilliant personalities. Beware the draw there because what we want is faithfulness. We want faithfulness. We've had some flame, people flame out here at Village that had all kinds of skill and talent. And then we had people who, like Fred, just plod along faithfully Faithful, 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 all the time, for decades. Let's, let's pursue faithfulness rather than celebrity. Let's pursue humility rather than pride. Know who you are. He acknowledges his simpleness, and he acknowledges that God saved me. And then verse 7 is so interesting. He talks to himself. He's hearing the voices, and it's his own voice in his own head. How many of you talk to yourselves? Yes, all right, good. 
Very good. Just be careful where you're doing it. Um, <laughs> you know, stopping at the red light, looking at that person over there. It, you know, now we have phones in the car. Before we had phones in the car, who are they talking to? <laughs> but it's important, actually, to know how to talk to ourselves. Because sometimes we don't talk to ourselves. We merely listen to ourselves. It's good to talk to ourselves. Look at verse 7. Return, O my soul. The author's talking to himself. To your rest, for Yahweh has dealt bountifully with you. He is remembering to rest in what Yahweh has done for him. What has Yahweh done? He has dealt bountifully with him. He has given him all that he needed. So this is a good recommendation for us to begin to talk to ourselves well. To speak truth to ourselves. This is all throughout the Psalms, right? Um, it's famously, I think it's Psalm 42 and 43, talking to your soul, you know? I, I'm, why is your soul, soul, why are you cast down within me, right? Hope in God. And this is talking to yourself. And it's, it's, it's not just like a pep talk, okay? You're good, you're great, you're awesome, you can do it. That's not what we're talking about, okay? What we're talking about here is preaching the gospel to yourself. Reminding yourself of who you are and whose you are. Because Satan wants to talk to you too, right? Satan wants to get in there and distract you and tell you all sorts of false things or, or partly true things. And he whispers them to you. And if all you're going to do are listen to Satan's voice and to your own voice, if all you're going to do is listen, then you're not, you're not fighting with what God has given, which is not only your words, but your word informed by his word. That's why we memorize scripture, to fight. So when the psalmist says, return, O my soul, to your rest, he's talking to himself. He's reminding himself that the Lord has provided bountifully for you. It doesn't matter if it feels bountiful or not right now. Looking back at God's blessings is really important. That's, I mean, that's where count your blessings comes from, right? That, that's, what, that's what we're doing. We want to, wow, if we do this in a, in a God-centered way, we want to count the blessings that God has given to us and see, look how God has provided when things are tight, when things are tough, when things are dark, when things are hard, we, we definitely need to look at what the scriptures say, to look back at what God has done, and to remind ourselves of them. He's gotten you out of this before. He's provided before. You felt like this before. Things have looked this bad before. Trust in the Lord. Point number three. The psalmist continues to move through and kind of revisit some of the things he's already talked about. Rescued ones can trust the trustworthy one and live for him. Rescued ones can trust the trustworthy one and live for him. Verse 8, the psalmist talks about the deliverance again, deliverance my soul from death. Watch this, my soul from death, my, my being, my inmost self, my life from death, my eyes from tears, and my feet from stumbling. This is a, a, a triple parallelism to, to cover all of life, right? So this is not merely the inward life, although it is that, but it is also the practicalities of walking in this world, of living in the land of the living, of walking before Yahweh in verse 9. So, so it's important then that we understand the response that's here. The deliverance has happened. It's past tense. What's the present tense? I will walk before Yahweh. That's what I'll do. I have been delivered. I have been saved. I'm going to walk. I'm going to live like it. Right? It's not, the shackles were taken off. Don't go back and put them back on. They're, they're, they're off. Walk freely in the land of the living. I, I told Joshua that, we could sing Land of the Living today. We sang it last time I preached, but that's because somehow in the Lord's providence, both psalms that I preached had literally the phrase, the land of the living. Um, and we have a song called the land of the living. So it seemed to fit. But that's important because he's talking about death, having been rescued from death and now is walking in the land of the living. Verse 10 and 11 then go back to this idea of it's not just a simple formula. Right? We don't have a magic wand that we just wave over problems. Oh, God, it's okay. God's with me. Ha, 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 ha. Just smile. That's not, that's not how the scriptures are. Jesus isn't gets them going, I know this is all going to end. I got this handled. Right? These sweating drops of blood. 
and praying to his father. And so we know that while we, we, we know who we are, we know whose we are, we know how it will end, it doesn't mean that it's not going to be hard now. Because not only are we living in a, sin, a sinful world, and we are sinners as well, but God in his kindness uses suffering to form us into people who love him and will follow him. That's always been true. Read any of your favorite characters in the Bible and see what God does with their suffering. Look at uh, verse 10. The psalmist says, I believed. Even when I spoke, I am greatly afflicted. So, so this is, a, the Hebrew is tough here. And there's like, if you have different translations, it says very different things in these verses. But the point is, I think, that while he was being afflicted, and while he couldn't trust anybody, he believed Yahweh. He had faith. He trusted. Those are our synonyms here. Okay? So it was, a, verse 11, it was an alarming situation. It was greatly, he was being greatly afflicted, but he believed. What is belief? What is believing? It's, it's trust. It's the state, faith is the state of believing on the basis of the reliability of the one trusted. Okay, so we don't just have faith. That doesn't work, right? Just have faith, brother. In what? In who? Right? Um, I'm, I'm a man of faith. I'm a woman of faith. I believe. I, I just believe. I believe what? You believe you can fly? You believe, what do you believe, right? Who, what are you believing? Who are you believing? This is the idea that, that God has delivered his soul from death, and so he believes even in the midst of affliction. Notice then also, somehow the people around him were also untrustworthy, which makes it very hard, right? It, it's, it's not easy, but it's a little more bearable when your support system is there to help you, right? When your support system turns out to be liars and unfaithful, it gets really hard, right? When you're betrayed. So, so notice, he says, all mankind are liars. Whoa. So this might be like, an understandable overstatement, some hyperbole that, you know, seven people lied to him in the last week. So everyone's a liar, right? Um, But whatever the case, that's what he's feeling in the moment. And yet the idea is don't give in to the feelings in the midst of affliction. If you can zoom out, take the longer view because there is someone you can trust 100% of the time, all the time. And that is Yahweh who has delivered his soul from death. When, When you have the confidence of, deliverance from death, then to live in that confidence means you're a person of faith, living in the faith of God. Okay, the last section here, verses 12 through 19, is long, but there's some repetition in it, so it's all grouped together. Point number four, God is totally committed to us, so we can totally commit our lives to him. God is totally committed to us, so we can totally commit our lives to him. Verse 12 asks a great question. So, reflecting on salvation, deliverance, rescue, faithfulness of God, the remembering of the hearing that God listens, he hears, he responds. In thinking of all of that, then the psalmist asks the appropriate question, what shall I render to Yahweh? This is a, this is a, you know how we end the sermons with application, like, the application, right? Here's what we talked about. This is, this is the psalmist saying, what should I do with this? What do I do with the rescue of God? What shall I render to Yahweh for all his benefits to me? How do I respond? This is the so what question. So, so what do I do? What do we do? It's a great question. It, it's appropriate. It's what, we, it's what we should do. Well, the psalmist here decides that what he's going to do is rejoice and praise with commitments. So we have the word vows. In fact, look at verse 14. We'll go back to 12 and 13 in a second, but look at verse 14. I will pay my vows to Yahweh. Where? In my prayer closet. It's a good place to do it. Where else? With God's people. Look at verse 18. I will pay my vows to Yahweh. Where? In the presence of all his people. Verse 18 is a word-for-word repetition of verse 14. And that makes sense because... Um, he's, he's saying out loud what he's going to do. And, and of course, Old Testament worship is a lot different, right? You'd notice we didn't bring any goats up today. There's no sheep. There wasn't an oxen out on the altar when you walked in today. There wasn't any 
uh, you know, the deacons weren't out there catching a bunch of blood, but you know, right? Praise the Lord. Um, Jesus is the Lamb of God, and He was sacrificed for our sins, and there are no longer any sacrifices that need to be made. Um, Jesus' blood covers all of it. All of those Old Testament sacrifices culminate in Jesus' sacrifice. But what we understand about the worship and praise of Yahweh in the Old Testament is that you came before Yahweh and worshiped, and it was costly. Now, maybe with high gas prices, that's a little bit easier to understand for us today. It's costly to get here, but come on. I mean, if you lived far away and you headed to Jerusalem, you were bringing animals with you all the way there, and you had to keep them like, from getting messed up or else you couldn't sacrifice them. Um, or you came to Jerusalem or, or, or Shiloh or Shechem or wherever the Lord had the, the tabernacle before the temple was built, and you had to come and you had to bring your money to buy animals. when you get there. So it was costly. The worship of God was costly, and it took commitment. We, are, we, we should look at what others have to go through, and sometimes we need to say, am I committed, or is it just an easy rhythm for me to get up on Sunday and go to church? Because this is what we do. Just what we do on Sundays. Saturdays we do this. Sundays we do this. I was listening to um, a podcast talking about, um, I, I can't remember if he was Russian or Ukrainian, but um, a, a gentleman who's in the States now who's helping um, with all the stuff going on with the war um, in Russia Ukraine um, and talked about when he was growing up there that his father gladly gave up half of his salary and fines to take his son to church. And what it meant was walking eight miles to church every day every Sunday, eight miles to church. <laughs> and depending on how boring the preacher was, you got to go eight miles back and there's nothing to talk about, <laughs> right? 16 miles and, and the commitment that it took to get there, the commitment that it takes for so many of our brothers and sisters just to gather, just to get together. So, so what, what the psalmist does here is he questions, what do I do? How do I serve the Lord because of what he's done for me. Verse 13. I will lift up the cup of salvation and call on the name of Yahweh. So one of the things that you do is to keep doing what you've been doing. Keep praying. Keep calling on Yahweh's name. And this seems to be in the, in the sense of doing it in public. Um, having this, this public understanding of paying vows to Yahweh. Now, you can go back and look in the books of Leviticus and Numbers and see all the various sacrifices, um, what sacrifices counted for what. There were ways to thank the Lord with free will offerings. And oftentimes, they ended up being a barbecue in one sense. So different kinds of offerings. Some of the offerings, you don't get any of the food back. The food goes to the Levites or the priests, or you just burn the whole animal as an offering to God. But some of the offerings, you got to keep the meat as a barbecue. I mean, so that the Levites were like had this cool role and I think if you, if you look in the scriptures, you know the Levites were the barbecuers. They were the, they were the grill masters because they had to figure out how to do this with all these animals brought day after day. But if you gave a free will offering, you had some of the meat back. And so this idea of celebration as praise is a cool thing. The cup of salvation. Paying vows to Yahweh, which probably had something to do with sacrifices or in extreme cases, taking a Nazarite vow for an extended period of time. Uh, like uh, the Apostle Paul does in Acts, or Samson was a lifelong Nazarite, but you could take Nazarite vows and, and commit yourself especially uh, to the Lord for a time. Or you think of Hannah giving Samuel to the Lord. She vowed to God, if you give me a son, I'll give him back to you. So this is what the idea of the vows here, but it's all being done um, in, in public, in the presence of the Lord. So how do we do this? Well, I'd like to talk to the junior hires and the high schoolers and the young adults for a second because you guys, I know, because I'm there, have a great opportunity to do this in your prayer groups every Thursday night. So I know, I've been there. Sometimes those, you know, is there anything going on to pray for? No, I'm fine. Right? Because it's embarrassing, you're shy. But here's what we're trying to build on Thursday nights, and everyone else gets to listen in on this. What we're trying to build is an opportunity for you with, with your adult leaders to talk to God together about what God is doing or what you want him to do, right? So I have a huge test next Friday. Can we pray for that? 
Yes. I'm trying to share the gospel with my neighbor. Can we pray for that? Yes. God answered that prayer. I got a B plus on that test. Let's praise God for that. Okay. I was really scared, but I talked to my neighbor about Jesus, right? Like all these opportunities for testimony, for praising God in public is a great opportunity for you guys on Thursday night. So in those prayer times, leaders, young people, let's work on doing that. Let's work on making that a safe place to do that, to, to say, what shall I render to the Lord for what he's done for me this week? Let's talk about it and pray about it as a group. That leads us into verse 15, and if you read this, it's kind of like, where does verse 15 come from? It's kind of out of, out of nowhere, but it's, it's the best known verse from this psalm, for sure. Precious in the sight of Yahweh is the death of his saints. What? I mean, yes, okay, that's nice, but we just went through the first 14 verses, and I don't know what happened at verse 15. It was like just a hard red light, <laughs> trying to figure out what does this mean. And you know what? The scholars have about, there's about 70 different ideas about what this means and what this looks like, okay? So um, where does it come from and what's it about? Well, previous in the psalm, the psalmist has frequently said he's been saved, rescued, delivered from death, from tears, from stumbling, from distress, from anguish, from snares, from pangs, from all of these things. Precious in the sight of Yahweh is the death of his saints. So I have a few thoughts. One, very well could be, especially if they're returning from exile, that some of them didn't make it, right? Some of them didn't come home from Babylon. Some of them maybe didn't make it on the travel back from Babylon. Um, Some of them were too frail to make the trip, and so they're still in Babylon, and they're going to die there. Um, that, that's one idea, is it could be looking back on, the Lord rescued us, and that's great, and we're not going to forget those who also didn't make it, who passed away, who died in exile. And so that could be part of how this fits into the rest uh, of the psalm, and that's, that's balancing to hear. Um, the, the Lord healing, even in the Gospels, right? Jesus heals some. You have to imagine that there were times, but we know this, there were times where very few got healed because the, the city was rejecting him or didn't have faith. Um, or someone tried to make it to Jesus and didn't get to him in time. Um, or even those who were at the tomb at Lazarus um, saw Lazarus raised from the dead, but maybe last week they were at a funeral for their grandma. Or maybe next week their uncle died. So, so we've we got to be careful that we're not just like, God saves and we're all, yay, victorious, because we also know that we are going to die. Yes, the Lord has rescued us. You know, Lazarus died twice. The, the Lord brought him back. In fact, I want to look at that really quick. Can we go to John 11? Because I, I, I want to I think about this. Um, we're talking about death. We're talking about the end of life, right? The, the psalmist is talking about in the land of the living. Well, what happens when you exit the land of the living? In, in John 11, John chapter 11, Jesus is with Martha and Mary, um, Lazarus has died four days before. Lazarus and Jesus were, were buddies. They were good friends. Um, if you go back earlier, you see Jesus actually set this all up. He planned for this to happen. Um, we have the shortest verse in the Bible, right? Jesus wept here. We see the Lord weeping. But I want you to look at verse 21, John eleven twenty-one, 21, and think about, think about what Jesus had to say about death, resurrection, and life. Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. That's great faith. If you had been here, he wouldn't have died. I trust that you could have healed him and saved him and rescued him. But you didn't. Where were you, she's saying. How could you, she might be saying. But look at verse 22. Even now, I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give you. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. She was comforted by the understanding on the last day, the faithful will be raised. But she wanted her brother back right then. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, the reality of death, yet shall he live the reality of life after death. 
And then Jesus says this, and everyone who lives and believes in me shall, what? Never die. Though he die, he shall never die. (laughs) Jesus is saying, yes, you will die. If you believe in me, though you die, you will never die. So here's the reality of Friday morning. Fred immediately saw the face of his Lord. So he's, he's gone. We don't see him. But immediately he saw Jesus. Because he loved and served Jesus. And he believed that Jesus died for his sins. And so for Fred, I don't Can you imagine? There was, I don't know, he was waking up in heaven. I don't know. But immediately... Fred saw the face of the Lord, and he's with him. And you can be too. If, like Fred, you know that you're a sinner, and you put all your faith in Jesus to save you from your sins, then you too can know that Jesus is the resurrection and the life. Jesus told Martha, do you believe this? And that's the question for us. Do you believe this? Do you believe this this morning? Jesus gives us more than the psalmist knew in Psalm 116. We know more about how this works, about what Jesus has done for us, than the psalmist in Psalm 116. So when when the psalmist says, precious in the sight of Yahweh is the death of his saints, some some commentators say it should be costly or valuable. It It might be that the loss of a faithful one is valuable in in Yahweh's sight. Um, Because these lives matter to God, when he hears the psalmist's request for deliverance, he acts upon it to deliver him from death. However, what we need is not euthanasia, good death. We need eternal life. That's what we need. And so the idea, I think here, can go multiple ways, but the idea here is that Whatever, wherever you come down on verse 15, God values his children. He loves them. And it is costly. They are valuable to him. The preciousness has to do with the costliness. Because God, though he didn't have to, has attached himself to us, committed himself to us in love. And following that, verse 16, the psalmist says, O Yahweh, I am your servant. I am your servant, the son of your maidservant. You have loosed my bonds. Okay, that word could also be slave. I am your slave. You have loosed my slave bonds. This is a voluntary servitude to a good God. This is what we do. We give ourselves to God. I'm not in control. You've saved me. I want to serve you the rest of my life. You tell me what to do. You are Lord, which can also be translated master. So what will we do? Verse 17, I will offer to you the sacrifice of thanksgiving and call on the name of Yahweh. What is the response when God hears your call and responds? Our response is to call on the name of Yahweh. Keep calling on him. Every time we call on him and he answers us, we see and we can show how good and how faithful God is. Why do you pray? Prayer doesn't do anything. We would say, I beg to differ. (laughs) I know that my God listens to me because the scripture and what it teaches and because in my life I have seen it happen and because in the lives of others I've seen it happen. So we, we respond to God listening to our call by calling on the Lord so he'll listen to our call. And when he listens to our call, we call on the Lord and he listens to our call. And he gets to show himself over and over and over and over and over faithful to us so that he's more and more and more and more trustworthy in our eyes so that we grow and mature into people that trust and have greater faith. Verse 18 repeats, I will pay my vows to Yahweh. Where? In the presence of all his people. Where else? In the courts of the house of Yahweh, in your midst, O Jerusalem. Hallelujah. Praise Yahweh. This is a good reminder that what we do, what we did last Sunday and what we do the first Sunday of every month, when we celebrate the Lord's Supper and we have a little tiny cracker and a little little juice cup, What are we doing? 
we are remembering and celebrating the Lord listening to us and sending a Savior. And we do it every month because we're forgetful people. And we want to do it on our own. But the Lord reminds us by the, by the taste buds on our tongues, as we taste the, the, the bread that represents the broken body and the juice that represents the blood of Jesus, that he hears us, he heard our voice and our pleas for mercy, and he has delivered our souls. He has preserved us. He has saved us. He has given us rest. He has dealt bountifully with us. And as we think about Fred's passing this week, we, we remember Paul's words in Thessalonians that we grieve. We do grieve. We should grieve. We must grieve. But as those who have hope. We know where Fred is. We know he is intensely happy. And we are sad for our friend being gone. But we know that we know that because we share the same faith of Fred Johnson, of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and Joseph, and David, and Fred, that we will see him again when we see the Lord again. First John says that when we see him, we will be like him. We'll see him as he is. And we await that day. You know what? Fred's waiting for one more thing. He's waiting for one more thing. He's waiting for his body. His new body. That doesn't need hearing aids. That doesn't, he's not going to shuffle around anymore. We'll be okay with him getting on ladders in the new heavens and the new earth. <laughs> and if there are vehicles in the new heavens and the new earth, we will finally, once again, feel safe driving with him. <laughs> but we know that the Lord is going to provide because he has provided, he will provide, and we will call on him as long as we live. Father, thank you for this day and thank you for reflections on this psalm and on um, our brother Fred's life. And we thank you, Lord, for the time that we have had with him. And we pray, Lord, for the shoes that he has left behind. They're big ones and they need to be filled. And we pray that some others would step into those shoes. Uh, Lord, the responsibilities and the um, privileges of ministering to your people um, are so great. So we pray that we would step into that. And Lord, we pray for the family. We pray for um, Jean. And we pray for the kids and the grandkids and the great-grandkids and all of those who are mourning um, the loss of Fred. Lord, we pray that you would comfort us with your comfort and then help us to comfort each other with the comfort you have, has, that has been shown to us. Um, Lord, uh, go with us today. And we pray that um, as we um, think about your words um, through the Apostle Paul, that you will finish the work that you started in us. Fred's work is finished, uh, but ours is still here. And so we pray that you would give us grace and strength to, um, to run the race and to fight the good fight. In Jesus' name, amen.